The pre-med path can be super confusing. If you'd love some help on your path or on your applications, use the promo code PMY for pre-med years, PMY over at medicalschoolhq.net and get some help from some of our experts, former directors of admissions, admissions officers, other experts. We have a small team ready to help you today. Again, that's promo code PMY to get a discount on our services at medicalschoolhq.net. If you're applying to medical school in 2022 to start medical school in 2023, join me Wednesday or Thursday, Wednesday night at 9.30 p.m. Eastern or Thursday at 11 a.m. Eastern at premedworkshop.com. Go register today. I'm gonna show you how to tell your story in your application. Again, that's premedworkshop.com. If you are applying to medical school in 2022, be there or be square. The Medical School HQ Podcast, session number 111. Hello and welcome to the Medical School Headquarters Podcast, where we believe that collaboration, not competition, is key to your pre-med success. I'm your host, Dr. Ryan Gray, and in this podcast, we share with you stories, encouragement, and information that you need to know to help guide you on your path to becoming a physician. Welcome back to the show. If this is not your first time, if this is your first time, welcome. This is our first podcast of 2015, so happy new year to everybody. I hope everybody had a happy and healthy holiday season. I have in the studio, also known as our basement, with me, Allison. Hello. I was going to say good morning, but it's really not. It's not morning. It's not morning. It <laughs> might be morning for people that are listening. That's true. Good evening. Good afternoon. Good morning. You could do the good morning Vietnam like Robin Williams used to do. Oh, that's sad. <laughs> I don't remember how it used to sound, actually, anyway. We're, we're like dating ourselves, and we're not that old, actually. <clears throat> yeah. Anyway. So in this podcast, we're going to take a little spin again. So sometimes Allison and I talk pre-med stuff. Sometimes we have interviews about pre-med stuff. This time we're going to take a little spin and talk more about doctor-patient communication. So not necessarily pre-med stuff, but one of those very important topics that I think when you master, if you can truly master communicating, but when you gain a better understanding of communicating with patients, I think your job satisfaction increases. Definitely. Hopefully patient satisfaction increases. Yeah, and their care. Outcomes increase. Yeah, and out there as a pre-med, you can start these skills, learning these skills now. You can start now and the more you dedicate yourself to uh, good communication with your patients, the better and better you will be at it when you set foot in medical school and then beyond. Yeah. And this this conversation was sparked by a recent article, and, and recent meaning yesterday, two days ago, a recent article in the New York Times titled Dr. Comma shut up and listen, meaning, hey, you doctor, shut up and listen to me from the patient. And it's written by a physician, is it not? Mm-hmm. So uh, it, it's an interesting perspective. And in this article, 
and uh, it's Dr. Josie. I think that's how you pronounce it. J-O-S-H-I. Joshi? Josie? Anyway, in the article, he quotes a lot of different studies that talk about communication breakdown and what that leads to. And in this, in one of these, the Joint Commission, which is, if you work in a hospital, you'll you'll know what the Joint Commission is. There, they found that communication failure, rather than any kind of lack of technical skills or understanding, the communication failure was at the root of over seventy percent of serious adverse health outcomes in hospitals. Now. That's interesting. I would have preferred a, a next sentence to that to show the dollar amount. What did that cost taxpayers? What did that cost hospitals? How many deaths w- were that? Mm-hmm. Was that? Were that? Were know. there. Were there. How many deaths <laughs> were there? Anyway. So it's, it's a huge number. And it, it talks about the percentage of patients that walk away from a doctor's visit not understanding what just happened. Yeah, that was a staggering statistic as well. And so... Two out of three. Yeah. Well, two out of three didn't understand the diagnosis leaving the... Leaving the hospital, right. The hospital. Yeah, but over 60% of cases, in over 60% uh, patients left the doctor's office without understanding uh, what they were supposed to do, their instructions counseling, et cetera. Yeah, almost two out of three. Yeah. So so Allison and I are going to lay out for you six or so. We, we always seem to add stuff at the end. Six tips to help you improve on your communication with patients. And and this is you as a pre-med, you as a medical student, you as a resident and attending, any anywhere where you are. This will help you better understand and better speak to patients. Yes, and I think that this is a skill that you can never, ever um, get good enough at. <laughs> um, you, can, you can't ever get complacent about your communication skills, and you can't ever decide, in my humble opinion, that you're a great communicator, so fine, you don't need to practice. It's one of those things that uh, you always, especially with the changing nature of medicine and the world in which we operate and practice in, uh, you have to be able to constantly be bettering your communication skills. So start early and just keep on at it. And uh, one of the the nice things in this article uh, is at some point they, they mentioned that, you know, being a good communicator should not just be an extra bonus for a physician that it really, you cannot practice good medicine without being a good communicator, without having a good bedside manner. I agree. So this is like seriously important stuff here. Yeah. So take notes, but not your not if you're driving. Right. We don't we don't uh, sponsor that or endorse that. <laughs> don't condone that. That's the word I was looking for. <laughs> yes. So let's start off. The first one here that we have is so basic, yet this article points that only one in four doctors do it. Yeah, which is so crazy to me. I mean, if you walk into an AT&T store and you uh, you we walk We didn't up, say what it is yet. Okay, sorry, you're right. Say it we first. Didn't say what it is. It's the no context thing. I, yeah. I think everyone's in my brain and they're with me now. So one in four doctors, <laughs> or three out of four, I should say, don't introduce themselves. Yeah, crazy. Loco, totally nuts. 
So I was going to say, if you go into like a phone store or a retail store and you walk up to uh, a customer you know, service person and, and you ask for help, uh, you might just say hi. Um, but if, if there's no kind of interaction, I mean, it's not kind of the... I mean, it's a little awkward, right? I mean, I think if you go into a store and you say, you know, where are the, um, where are the phones or where is this? Where it's kind of rude, right? I mean, I think in a lot of places, if you're out shopping for something, if you're out interacting with another person, if you're in a grocery store, you but say, you don't you don't walk up to the salesperson and say, "Hi, I'm Ryan. I'm looking for phones." No, but you know what? Maybe you should. And when people, or hi, I'm Dr. Gray. Well, okay, yeah, <laughs> you, that would that would just be weird. That'd be awkward. But no, my point is that, and you talk about this too, about how in certain parts of the country, in terms of customer service, people are much nicer and much more friendly. And particularly in certain areas, like maybe the Northeast where we live, it's not always the case. So my point is, in places where you're not taking. Um, your clothes off and being examined and, and having, you know, your body parts on display for people in just the regular kind of world where people live and, and work in, people typically introduce themselves. So how is it that in medicine, which is one of the most vulnerable places, vulnerable places that a patient can put themselves in in terms of yeah. being in a in a gown and, you know, naked and in a doctor's office meeting someone they, they've never met before or in a hospital, no less, when they're admitted to a hospital with a scary freaking set of symptoms and illness and then somebody enters the room and doesn't even tell yeah. them who and they starts are touching them exactly that's what i'm saying yeah. that's insane what's what's the first thing that your server says when they walk up to you at a restaurant hi i'm so-and-so and i'll be taking care of you tonight yeah all right yeah. oh well actually although i will <laughs> on a just very quick side note i was at a 99 recently a 99 restaurant i don't know if you all have that in wherever you are in the country and the woman said to me so is anybody ordering here <laughs> It's like the most awkward line ever. But that's kind of like how it must be for patients sometimes. You're admitted to the hospital and someone walks in and is sort of like, oh, I'm going to examine your belly now. Yeah. Like, excuse me? What? And the the assumption is I'm wearing a white coat. I can do whatever I want. Right. Exactly. It's that assumed authority, that assumed, you know... uh, yeah, that you get to just embody this person who can just walk into a room and do that. And that's not that's not cool. That's yeah. that's not right. So one of the other big faux pas is you walk into a room and the patient has if it's in a hospital, the patient has family members or friends visiting and you go straight to the, the patient and you start talking to them, examining them, possibly interrupting a conversation that may have been going on and you don't acknowledge anybody else there. Right. And what if the patient's in there and their crazy uncle is also in the room and they don't want to be examined in front of their crazy uncle? I mean, it's and it floors me when this happens. It makes me it makes me as a physician feel so uncomfortable when I've seen other healthcare practitioners do this when they, as you said, walk into the room and there are all these people, you know, you've met the patient and maybe the patient's wife or husband, significant other, uh, whatever they may be you know, just the two of them, but then all of a sudden you come back and there are all these other people and it's like they're part of the wall. You can't do that. I mean, I I think it's a, I I think this is one key point for pre-meds. When you're shadowing, if the physician that you're shadowing doesn't introduce you to the patients, I wouldn't necessarily jump in and introduce yourself right away. After that first patient or two, see, see what the, the physician that you're shadowing does and then when you leave a room, say, you know, I saw the patient or the patient's family looking at me like, who am I? Do you mind if I introduce myself or can you introduce me as a student shadow or whatever it may be? 
to get rid of some of that awkwardness. Yeah, I'd agree with that. You know, in thinking back, I used to just speak up and maybe that's just me and my nature. Um, I just very quietly and not to interrupt the flow of conversation or anything, but as maybe the physician would come in and say, hi, how are you doing? And I would just say, hi, I'm, I'm Allison. I'm a medical student. Hope you don't, or I'm, I'm a, I'm a, uh, I don't know, whatever, pre-med, you know. Um, I don't remember what I used to say at the time. That's why I'm saying whatever. Um, Student doctor. Yeah, do you do you mind? Or I'm working with so-and-so today. Do you mind if I'm if I'm here? And usually it was like two seconds worth of conversation, didn't interrupt anything. But yeah, I think your point is is well taken that sometimes the physician, it might sort of interrupt their flow and, and it's a good thing to ask ahead of time. Yeah. Okay. Yeah, because no one wants a random person in the room. That's also such an awkward thing. And and everybody feels uncomfortable because they're looking around, who is this person? And then you can't focus on what you're there to do. And yeah. No. So one other quick point here, and I think we've mentioned it before, but we'll we'll talk about it again, is how you introduce yourself to patients. And Allison and I kind of differ on this a little bit. But and and maybe it's just the the environment that I'm in in a military environment where it's just a little bit different. But I I think in the civilian world, if I go back to that, I would probably do the same thing now. I don't introduce myself to the patients as Doctor Gray. I say hi, I'm Ryan, and I've read some stuff that that immediately puts the patient at at ease because now all of a sudden they think on a human basis, they're on the same level as you. Obviously, you're still the doctor, they're still the patient, but you are humans looking at each other. And I just take a different approach. So part of why I think it's important to acknowledge who you are, to say, hi, I'm Dr. So-and-so, is not because you're trying to... Uh, have anybody, you know, bow down to you, blah, blah, blah. No, it's because in a typical academic medical center, when a patient is admitted in a teaching hospital, they're going to meet, I'm going to make this up, but probably, I mean, they're going to meet like between 20 and 50 people. I mean, easy. So, and, and it depends on where you are, but think about it. They come into the ER, they're going to meet a whole series of people in there. Then they come upstairs, they're going to meet a whole series of people in there. They'll meet the intern, the residents, the fellow, maybe uh, the attending. They'll meet uh, different nurses depending on day shift and night shift. They'll, they might meet a nursing supervisor. They'll meet a case manager, a physical therapist, occupational therapist, speech language pathologist. They'll meet uh, a social worker. I mean, the list goes on and on and on. So how... So what is adding doctor to your to because, your introduction? So because part of it is and and by the way, the other thing we should mention is that everybody wears a white coat now. Mm-hmm. So the symbol that we've, you know, so what about the physical therapist who's a doctor of physical therapy? Do they introduce themselves as doctor? No, but that's a whole other conversation so. for another day. That's a whole different thing. <laughs> or the nurse friend. that's a doctor. But you mean because they have a PhD? Or the years. speech therapist that's a doctor. Yeah, but that's, that's a, a totally different, that's taking it out of context. And that's a totally different podcast. I'm okay. sorry. That okay. is a totally different episode. Because, and, and my, I have family who, I have PhDs in the family, so it's a heated discussion and whatnot. But no, my point is because you're trying to do everything you can to help that patient understand your role. So it's not to say I am Dr. Blah, 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 because I'm so important. It's I am, I'm Dr. Gray. I'm your intern here. I'm your resident, whatever I may be. Hi, I'm Ryan. I'm your resident. Okay, that's fine. But (laughs) so the way though that I think, you know, you talked about just a minute ago, how you think that you should say Ryan because that allows you and the patient to be on the same level and it immediately fosters this feeling of of just being able to of trust. Yep. My 
attitude about that is that the way that you develop trust and rapport and all that is with what you say, your behavior, your body language, your your rapport, all of that. So just adding doctor to me, that you know, that's not what's important. It's it's everything that follows it. And I also think that when a patient, in my point of view, again, humble opinion here, when if I were to be admitted to a hospital and I were really sick with something and I were and I were scared, if I were scared, which I most likely would be in that scenario, I would want to know who is the individual who's responsible for me, who's going to make me better, who's going to help see me through this. And the the person responsible at the end of the day of the day is going to be the physician, the, the leader of the team, right? Now everybody plays an extremely important role on that team, but the leader of your team is likely going to be a physician in this makeup that we, you know, this world that we live in. So you you want to be able to identify, well, who do I call if I get really scared and I don't know what's going on and I need questions answered? I, I think it's important to identify yourself as uh, clearly as who you are as a member of that team. So if you're Dr. So-and-so, then you're Dr. So-and-so. You're smiling at me with this mm, snarky I don't look. think you've proven your uh, your argument. You just disagree with me. It's nothing to do with proof. This is all this so, is all opinion here. So for, for you listening, tell tell us what you think. Go to medicalschoolhq.net slash one 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 for session one hundred and eleven and and tell us what you think. And by the way, I should add that some people might feel completely differently. Like, I mean, and, and people have said that sometimes the physician has no idea what's going on. It's the nurse who is able to actually carry the patient through and, yep. and alerts the physician when something is wrong. And that's a hundred percent true. So some people might feel like, well, I just want to know who my nurse is. I don't really care about anybody else. <laughs> so maybe what I'm saying is total hogwash, but that's just a certain perspective that I've taken and that I, I think makes sense to me. But this is all, again, this is all the important thing here, the punchline, I think it really doesn't matter how, like what the the suffix or the prefix or whatever your title, what matters is that you introduce yourself. There you go. I'll take it. Okay. All right. Moving on. Number two. Speak in layman terms. So this is a huge one because the medical field is built upon our special language, our medical knowledge built around mostly Latin words and everything is super long and has all of these prefixes and suffixes and patients don't understand it. And sometimes it's it's good that they don't understand when you're discussing things and then you can kind of put it down in layman's terms. But for the most part, almost all the time, you're going to need to actively translate. You know how Google translates for everything on, on the internet. You're going to need a Google translate in your head that you're thinking of hypertension in your head. You're going to have to spit out of your mouth high blood pressure, or hyperlipidemia comes out as high cholesterol, or whatever it may be. Uh, There's that disconnect there that, again, we talk about patients and their anxiety levels. They're in the hospital. They're in the doctor's office. What's wrong with me? Am I dying? Uh, What's going on? And you start spouting off all of these super technical medical terms. It's just going to make them more anxious. Right, exactly. And it it does not help with feeling like you can trust the person, like they're they understand you, like they're on the same level as you. Yeah. That's that's a definite one. Yeah. I think that's an easy. Yep. Simple. All right. The next one is an interesting one. 
And it's it's something that I, I, I think you and I saw this kind of around the same time about asking patients if they understand you. So if I talk to a patient who comes in and we're starting them off on a new blood pressure medication, that they've seen me and their blood pressure is just not going down, I say, okay, Mr. Mr. Smith, you need to start blood pressure medications. What you're going to do is you're going to take this medication for a couple weeks. I'm going to have to have you come back in. We're going to recheck some labs and, and see if the medication is doing okay. Recheck your blood pressure, and then we'll we'll go from there. As soon as I'm done saying that and I say, do you understand me? What's the patient going to do? Yep. 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 Good. My job's done as a doctor, right? The patient said they understand me. Right. I'm going to write the script. So they're going to go to the pharmacy and everything's going to be good. I'm going to see them in two weeks because they said they understand me. Yeah. And, and it could be even more like, you know, fancy sort of like, does everything I said make sense? Does this make sense to you? Because do you understand this sort of it's sort of uh, condescending in a little a little bit, but the point is, yeah, the that the the response to that is always going to be yes. And why is that? Because you're the doctor, and I don't want to seem like I don't understand you, because then I might feel dumb. Yeah, and this has been studied. They yeah. looked at this. Yeah, I don't want to be the only patient that doesn't understand what you're telling me. Right, and feel like then you're wasting the physician's time because then you have to sit there and they have to sit here and explain to me again. And oh, I'm I'm not only am I sick, but I'm dumb, like you said. Yeah, so it's not a good idea to. It, it, it's a great intention to try to make sure that your patient is understanding you, but it's not the best way to go about it. Yeah. So there's this this teaching method, I guess you would call it, or this understanding method, a technique for teaching patients called the teach back. So you tell a patient, you're going to start this new medication. You're going to come back in a couple of weeks. You're going to do some labs. We're going to recheck some blood pressures. And we're going to see if everything's working well. Instead of saying, do you understand everything I'm saying or whatever you said, the, the, the non, uh, the better way of saying it. The one other way of saying that is when you get home, what are you going to do? Or can you re- repeat back to me in your own words what I just explained to you? And it's a totally different way of doing it. And on the show notes page, medicalschoolhq.net slash 111, we'll have a YouTube video showing this technique. It's a pretty good video that shows this technique. And you might think, excuse me, you might think that this is just going to result in more time and, and you don't have time to go through this and see if the patient is understanding. And look, you only have 15 minutes and you have to do what you have to do and you just hope and cross your fingers and hope for the best. But the reality is that if they don't follow the instructions, not only is their care affected, but they it may result in, in delays and, and problems. And then, hey, look, they're calling you two days later because they don't remember what you told them or they don't understand. And yep. so it's actually going to result in a lot more time. And then you're another stat on that poor communication leading to 70% of adverse health outcomes. Yep. All right. So the next one here is being adaptable, being able to slow down, being able to adapt to the situation. So... As a physician, again, we talk a lot about the the hospital setting because things move a lot faster in the hospital setting. There's a lot more to do when you're a resident, a medical student. You typically enter a room with an agenda, right? 
you, you go in, you say, I need to, to palpate this belly. This person had uh, some abdominal surgery yesterday. I just need to push on the belly for a minute, make sure it's not tense and they're not painful, and then walk out. What happens if that patient throws you a curveball? Right. Have you allotted time for that? What What do you do? Yeah. So you walk in, you push on the belly. It's not very tense, but the patient goes, you know what? I, I'm having this this pain in my leg. And you're like, okay, that's fine. Whatever. I, I'm just worried about your belly. Yeah. What do you do then? Well, I mean, it depends what kind of physician are you. If you're a good one, then you have to attend to it. It's the same kind of thing. Like you're you're leaving the room, and and uh, you know, you just ask sort of that leading question, uh, or that that last question. Is there anything else that you know you need to tell me, or everything's okay? Oh, by the way, I've been having really severe chest pain whenever I go up the stairs. <laughs> same kind of thing. You can't just let it go. So you, what, what do if you, you don't do? have time? Well, you have to be adaptable. You have to figure out how to change your timetable. So one of the things that this article talked about, uh, this piece, he talked about how the um, in in one of these, um, what what was it? I guess it was it was an encounter. So uh, a physician uh, they they mapped all this out, and and there was an ex, um, an encounter where a patient said, uh, "I've just lost somebody I really really care about," and the the next line out of the physician's mouth. Uh, and I'm sure they didn't say about it like that. I'm sure they said, you know, my, I just lost my mom or whatever it was, but they said, how's your abdominal pain? So it was like a complete departure. Like, how do you go from saying just to another human being, you know, I just lost my mom or I just, and, and being t- tearful and crying and, and being absolutely just devastated. And then the next words out of the person's mouth across from you are, how's your belly pain? Yeah. It's like, what? I, I can't bill for you losing your mom. So I'm not even going to bother. Right. So, uh, how did we get there? So that physician probably, if we are thinking positively, optimistically, that that physician probably doesn't not care. I'm sure that they care on some level that another human being across from them is crying and, and devastated. They probably didn't know what to do because in their timetable, they had 15 minutes to talk with this patient and the patient came up with, like you said, a curveball, something completely unexpected and they didn't know what to do. They didn't have time. So they just tried to check off their check boxes of the things they had to do before leaving the room. Instead, there are other ways to handle that. How about, you know what? I am so sorry to hear about this and I want to take the time to sit with you and hear from you and see what I can do to help you. Can I get your nurse or if you're in the outpatient setting, can I go grab someone and have them sit with you and get you some water and and sit for a few minutes and I will come back as soon as I can. I have to go and do something urgently and I can't get around it, but I will be back. And if you can wait here, I want to hear more about this. So what about something like that? Yeah, that works. And maybe it won't, but I mean, it's at least acknowledging, you know, you, if, if you don't have empathy and that's the problem, you may have wonderful empathy, you may have rock star empathy, but if you don't take the time, if you sacrifice the patient because of your timetable and your agenda, then you don't have any empathy or at least you're not demonstrating it. Yeah. Okay. So be adaptable, slow down. Yeah, and as a resident, as a in a, you know, as a pre-med, if you're shadowing, uh, what if somebody grabs you and you're a pre-med? I remember being in a women's clinic and people asking me, you know, in tears if they'd, you know, done the right thing or if they, I mean, and with no training, I was supposed to run, rush off and get vitals. But how, as a human being, how can you not sit there and and say, well, you know, okay, I'm just going to sit down with this person for a little bit? Now you don't have that 
luxury necessarily as a medical student, certainly not then as a resident and a busy attending physician. So instead of uh, just delegating it or, or cutting off the time, try to figure it out. Think outside the box, be adaptable, try to carve out time elsewhere and uh, remember that it's it's always about the patient at the end of the day. It's not about, I mean, yes, getting home to your family and, and all of your other personal obligations are so important too, but uh, if you're you're kind of completely missing the point if you sell the patient short in terms of your caring for them. Yeah. So the next one we have on here is dig a little bit deeper. Try to gain a better understanding of what's going on in their life. And that communication will profoundly impact your ability to care for your patient, the understanding of what's going on in their life. We were doing a mock interview last night for our Academy members, and the question I asked the, the member, Robert, I asked him as as a admissions committee member, I was pretending to be the admissions committee member interviewing him. I asked him, you're a medical student and the patient you're about to see has been known to be a non-compliant patient. How do you interact with that patient and and show them, tell them, that their non-compliance is impacting their care or whatever it may be. What's what's your interaction with that patient who's non-compliant? And his response to me was the perfect response. He said, well, first of all, I'd try to understand why they are being non-compliant. And he, he hit it right on, on the head. Figure out why they're being non-compliant. You'll have patients that can't afford their medications, and so their blood pressure medication that they're supposed to take once a day, they take every other day because they're trying to space out their medications because they don't have enough money to to take it every day or whatever it may be. And so asking those questions about what's what's going on in your life, what do you have any life stresses right now? Do you have any family issues? Do you have any work issues What's going on that may be causing this other stuff that you're seeing me for? Absolutely. What else do you have to add for that one? So I would just reiterate a lot of what you said, or maybe in just my own words. I think it's it's just so important for establishing rapport to, and, and also for making the patient feel like you're a human being who cares about them, not just their their doctor, um, that you really get to know them as a person. It'll also, you'll remember your patients better. You'll, you'll really, you'll have a better bond with them. Um, if you really take the time to get to know who they are and, and their life in general and get to know the fact that they have two kids at home and that's why they're not sleeping at night. Get to know the fact that, um, they have a, a son who is troubled and drinks too much and they stay up late at night because they're worried about him. I mean, there are all these things that that will not only help you be more informed and understand better why their health is the way it is or why they are not compliant, but, but better, it will better your relationship and make it stronger. And and so that you really, and, and they'll come to rely on you more. I can't tell you. I mean, the, the patients who I got to know better, uh, they, you know, you just that relationship, the strength of that relationship just really makes a difference in terms of their care. And, and, uh, I, you can't really replace that with anything. Yeah, I agree. 
All right, the last one here I think is is simple and kind of a given, but it's not always followed. It's probably usually not followed, yeah. yeah. Let's just be honest. Yeah. Talk so, about that. And well, in this, so two things about this. Um, in one of our earlier podcast episodes from last year, we talked with Sherry Blowett, and uh, she's um, a Paralympian. She's a physiatrist. She's a rock star. Yeah, that was she's episode amazing. 66. Yeah. So we love her. Um, one of the things she talked about uh, in being a person living with a disability is that in her childhood, whenever she saw physicians, she it was always important to her that people just be honest with her and just level with her. And And she said something which just stuck with me, which I believe is so true too, which is that when you go to see a doctor, you you just want them to be down to earth. You don't want them to give you any BS. You, they, is this, is this, um, PG. I always, I was going to say, you know, yes, we do not have an explicit tag on right, our, right, right. Okay. Um, they they don't want BS. They want the patient. We all as patients uh, want the truth. We just want you. We, we want our physicians to just tell us what's going on. What is going on? Don't beat around the bush. Just be honest. So there's that piece of it. And then there's the part of uh, the honesty just about yourself in terms of, well, what if you were short with a patient? What if you were rushing one day and you were short with them? Or what if you were um, even rude? Or what if you were rushed? Whatever it may be, it's okay to pause and say, or maybe call them after the fact. Ideally, pause and just say, you know what? I'm sorry. This has been uh, a really difficult day for me. Or I didn't sleep last night. Or um, whatever it may be. Or maybe tell them, maybe if you're having, you're actually in an argument with a patient, so maybe the patient starts shouting at you and you lose your cool and you not shout back, but you get upset. It's okay to say, can we start over? I'm sorry. I got upset with you. I, I want to pause and I really want you to feel listened to, heard, respected, you know, feel like in coming here that, that people care about what's going on with you and we're trying to make you better can we start over? Can we pause? Can we just do a mulligan? Yeah. <laughs> I think that I've seen firsthand from my own personal experience that uh, this can really make a big difference for a patient. It can, you can do a 180 from a patient feeling like, well, screw this. I'm out of here. I hate doctors. I'm never coming back to, whoa, okay. This person is just leveling with me. And you know, we're people, right? We are people as physicians and we have bad days too. And I think it can only make your, your relationship stronger with the patient. If you're honest, there's, there's nothing to be gained by just trying to be high and mighty and, and, and feel like, Oh, I don't need to apologize or some crazy attitude like that. You're a person and it's, it's okay to just level with people. Yeah. And I I think following along those lines as well, being honest about your knowledge. Oh, definitely. So Big being, one. being able to say, I don't know. That's if a patient so asks important. you something. Yep. If a patient asks you about a lab that you were supposed to do, being honest and saying, oh, we forgot to order that. Yep. But I'll go put it in right now. Or whatever it may be. Just just be honest. Yep, absolutely. I'm not trying to hide anything. Yeah. I think they, they talk about how do you how do you get sued and the way that that happens is with negative rapport and how does negative rapport happen? It's through bad communication, and if you're being dishonest or you're not you're you're trying to just um, be perfect all the time and and not uh, let people know when you have made a mistake or when you don't know something. It's it's the results are not going to be 
in your favor. So it's, it's, it's so important to be honest when you don't know something to use your resources to, uh, to tell a patient, look, you know what, I need to look that up or I'm not sure, but I'll get back to you on that. Or let me refer you to somebody who does know or who can help you with that. And Ryan, I have a last one that we, we forgot to, or not forgot, but that we did not write down here. Um, and that's important for communication. So in terms of communication, and making communication better with patients, a crucial thing to do, and you can do this as a pre-med and as a med student and beyond, is to communicate with your team. Because in order to have good communication with a patient, you inevitably are working as part of a team. If you're in an outpatient setting, if you're certainly if you're inpatient. And so, like for example, if you're taking care of a patient in the hospital, communicate with the patient's nurse. There are a lot of hospitals now uh, that use something called nursing rounds where uh, there's actually a time and place every day where physicians will will round and meet with the nurses or the nurses will be part of regular rounds because uh, nurses are running around taking care of patients and, and dispensing medication. And, and if you as the physician don't communicate with the patient's nurse and the rest of the team and the case manager, it's everything is just going to go to hell in a handbasket. Um, it's, it's terrible. And a lot of people talk about how a rushed physician will, or maybe not even rushed, but a physician will go in the room, tell a patient a whole mess of material, a whole, a whole big thing, and then they'll leave. And what happens? The patient starts crying and, and goes to the nurse. What am I supposed to do now? I'm totally confused. I don't understand a, a thing they said. If you haven't explained to the nurse or you, you haven't gotten feedback from the nurse about how the patient's doing, they're not going to be able to tell, you know, to help the patient either. So it's so important to be able to communicate effectively with the team that you're working with to, then that itself will allow for good communication with the patient. I agree. There you go. I added one. Hugely important. An extra. There we go. A bonus tip for the day. Bonus. No charge. (laughs) We don't charge here. Oh, that's right. (laughs) Well, I hope you were able to take a lot from our discussion today. I think it's a very important discussion. Like I said, for your satisfaction, for the patient's satisfaction, for their care and their outcomes Communication is probably the most important part of healthcare. I agree completely. It's the key to any relationship, and you have a relationship with your patient. Yeah. Speaking of relationships, if you love listening to us, go to medicalschoolhq.net slash iTunes and leave us a rating and review if you haven't yet. We're up nearing 250 five-star reviews, which is... Amazing. That is incredible. We got a few more this week. Fat to Skinny said, great source. Rack, I'm assuming that's short for Rachel. Elizabeth says, thank you. She's from Canada. Um, SNJB2 says, great info. And Jenny from the NYM, NYC Block says... You almost said NYMC Block. <laughs> uh, NYMC Block. <laughs> that was, that's our medical school. Says, fantastic. And then I, I want to take a second... We got an amazing email from a listener with the initials MM. I won't say her name because she didn't give us permission to to talk about it, but it was just such a profound email, and I just want to read one little snippet of it because I think what she said is and has been our motivation for doing these shows. And she said... Every week on the show, you guys share invaluable information about the ups and downs of becoming a physician. Perfect. That's what we tried to do. But here's, here's what hit home. However, 
I am most appreciative of the sense of hope you have brought to me in my path towards becoming a physician. Since listening to the podcast, I have returned to my pre-med coursework with much greater academic and personal success. I no longer worry about the cutthroat students who tell me to give up. Who tell me to give up, yeah. I've found physician mentors who believe in my abilities, of which I consider both of you to be, even though we've never met. So that's awesome. That that has been my goal. I always said, if I can take one student that reads the well-known form out there, that three-letter form, reads that form and reads what they think they need to do or need to be as a pre-med student and is discouraged and gives up on that journey, if they find this podcast and are reignited with the passion that, that this student is and has been by the podcast, then and they go on to be a physician, then I've accomplished, we've accomplished our goal. Absolutely. So. I, I That email was so amazing. And uh, we are so glad to be able to provide hope and uh, inspiration, whatever it may be, uh, optimism to you out there uh, on the very difficult journey that you were on. The pre-med journey is so hard and the journey beyond is harder. And it's, it's all, it's a hard journey, but it's such an important journey. And so thank you for that email. And thank, thank you so much for letting us know. It's so rewarding to us to, to know that we're making a difference for you because that's why we do this. We're, we don't do this to sit across from each other in our basement. <laughs> you don't like sitting across from me in our basement? I like sitting across from you in our basement. <laughs> I'm just kidding. But I just mean we really do this for you out there. And so thank you for letting us know that we make a difference to you. Yeah. All right. If you haven't yet checked out premedlife.com, go check them out. It's a magazine specifically for pre-med students. They offer bi-monthly issues and have fantastic articles written about every aspect of the pre-med life. Hence, premedlife.com. Go check them out, premedlife.com. If you have any questions, feedback, or anything, go to the show notes, medicalschoolhq.net slash 111. Shoot me an email, ryan at medicalschoolhq.net. Allison is allison at medicalschoolhq.net. Or come find us anywhere else online. We're, we're everywhere. Just come find us. <laughs> All right. I hope you join us next time here at the Medical School Headquarters. <laughs>